Good morning slash evening. Welcome to the Calories and Rice podcast, a perfectly passable China Africa podcast. I'm your host, Windsor Robertson, and I am joined by our co-host, Lena Ben Abdella, a PhD student in international relations at the University of Florida. Unfortunately, Yiting Wang, our resident China sustainability specialist, cannot make today's episode. And if you hear birds in the background, that is because we are recording with a very special guest based out of Rwanda, but I'm not going to spoil who it is just yet. In the meantime, I am very far away from Rwanda. I'm in the middle of a blizzard in the northeast, and I hope I don't lose power, and I hope that DC doesn't descend into cannibalism. Lena, how are you doing? Doing very well, Winslow. Thanks for asking. Excellent. And today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, African Development Jobs. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nero Duru, seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. What is the role of the African entrepreneur on the African continent in the Sino-Africa relationship? To answer that question firsthand, we have invited Norbert Haguma, who is CEO of the Aforient Group, a one-stop solution for any Asia-Africa project, which was established in Hong Kong in 2009 and moved to Kigali in 2015. Haguma is also the vice president of the Rwanda Diaspora Global Network. He spent 10 years in China as a student, translator, consultant, IT engineer, and manager but recently moved back to the African continent to leverage his considerable Sino-Africa expertise for the Aforient Group, leading trade and cultural delegations in Africa. Norbert, yes. welcome to the pod. Thank you very much, Winslow. I'm glad to be here. Can you tell our listeners where you are right now? Uh, right now, I'm on the seaside city of uh, Rubavu in uh, western Rwanda on the Kivu Lake. So that's on the border between Rwanda and uh, DR, DRC, DR Congo. And would you be able to identify any of the birds that are making those sounds? <laughs> um, honestly, not really. I'm, I don't know what they're called. I know a few in my language, but I wouldn't really be able to tell you what they're called in English or, or Chinese. A bit. <laughs> and what are you doing at that lake at this moment? Well, um, I'm here with the Chinese delegation, so exploring um, the investment opportunities in, in Rwanda. And especially this town, as it's uh, bordering Congo, it's a pretty important uh, logistics center or transit for uh, many imports into eastern Congo. So they're here to see how they can uh, um, bring more uh, uh, re-export from Rwanda or bring more of their products to Rwanda to be exported into Uganda, Congo, Tanzania, and Burundi. And they are part of an official Aforient Group delegation, correct? Well, no. I mean, they are their own delegation. Aforient just helps them to, you know, to do the exploration, to meet with officials, and to to build the the business plan. Excellent. And I just wanted to give that context so our our listeners know exactly what a big deal you are in terms of someone who actually gets things done in China-Africa relations. Yes, thank you. If you have been in China for at least 10 years of your life, 
That would mean you were interested in Sino-African relations before it became a hot topic, let's say around 2008 onward. Yes. What made you decide to focus on China? What did you see that others might have missed? And how did you turn that interest into a dedicated Sino-Africa career? Well, I have to uh, acknowledge my, my father in this. He, he, uh, he worked with the Chinese in the... He's an agronomist, so he worked with Chinese in the rice cultivation in the 70s. And um, uh, right after the genocide in Rwanda, he was actually the first ambassador of Rwanda to China. So he knew China quite well. And uh, he got me interested into it. He always said that uh, uh, China will become the, the second or the biggest um, economy in the world. And that China will always be very important for Africa for many reasons, for cultural reasons, for historic reasons, you know, sharing the same, uh, um, same histories and uh, long-term friendship. So when I graduated high school, I really... Uh, one, I really, I went to China right away, like uh, within two, three months of my graduation, to study Chinese and uh, to um, understand that country better. And I also felt like um, a lot of my countrymen and uh, Africans were uh, very interested in the West, and I didn't want. I wanted something a bit more challenging, so I just went in my youth, you know, very interested in China and. Uh, when I got there, it got uh, more and more interesting as time went by. And uh, by, uh, by 2006, the first uh, FOCAC in Beijing, I was uh, actually uh, still in university and uh, I was a volunteer. My, my, my embassy chose me as one of the volunteer translators for the uh, many business delegations that were in town at that time. I think there was like 48 presidents. And so I got to meet uh, a lot of Chinese businessmen interested in Africa and a lot of African businessmen interested in China. And I saw that they needed, you know, all kinds of services from translation to, um, you know, receiving them when they come to visit the country, uh, etc. So I just um, I just went right in from there as a freelancer. And uh, by 2009, I decided to, to start a company. That's incredible, absolutely incredible. I, the 2006 FOCAC in Beijing, was that the first FOCAC in Beijing or the first it, summit level FOCAC? No, no, it was the first FOCAC in Beijing and the first, I think it was the second summit level. Yeah, second, yeah. I think it was the, sec it was the first summit, second conference. The exactly, the first summit. Was, it was the yeah. first summit, second conference, because the first FOCAC was 2000. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that was Beijing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so, sorry about that. Uh, Lean and I have a particular interest in in summit versus conference at this moment. <laughs> I, I um, do too, actually, uh, uh, because you know, uh, last year I organized um, the inaugural East Africa China Business Forum, uh, co-organized with the uh, Rwanda Development Board and the uh, East Africa China Chamber of Commerce. Um, the Chinese Chamber of Commerce in East Africa. And uh, uh, one of the things that we wanted to achieve was to, for it to be called the summit, which didn't happen last year, but we hope this year it will happen. That is incredible. When will you plan to host this year's summit? Uh, July, August. Not yet determined the date. Oh, Lian and I might be in East Africa around that time. We will see. I would love to have you here. Uh, I will make sure that you attend. If I have to call you every single day, I'll make sure you come. <laughs> I love that enthusiasm. That would be great. And 
out of curiosity for our, our listeners' sake, where would it be held in July and August? Do you have any idea on our location? Yeah, yeah. It, it will be in Kigali. Um, yeah, so the, uh, last year it was at Serena Hotel, but uh, this year there's, a, there's actually the biggest investment in Rwanda, which is Marriott. And uh, the Marriott Hotel, which is about to be completed, so it will be symbolically interesting to have it there. So mm-hmm. we'll see if it's uh, finished on time. Trilateral cooperation, China, Africa, and the U.S. Yes, exactly. Which is one of my favorite, by the way. <laughs> no, but uh, this, this is an interesting uh, idea you just threw in right now with this tri- triangular relations. I mean, could you just give us an example of, you know, a project that U.S. and China are doing uh, together with uh, Rwanda, for instance? Well, um, I don't have any examples in, in mind. What I can tell you is about, is about my own experience in, uh, in some projects that didn't happen, but which I thought were pretty good ideas. So, um, for example, I, th- I think three years ago, there was a Chinese company that was interested in building a, uh, a food processing factory in, in Rwanda. And... Uh, uh, at that time, I tried to approach the Belgian embassy here uh, and even the one in, uh, in China to see if we can bring them as a kind of a tri- trilateral cooperation because the China side was bringing in the uh, machinery for processing tomatoes into tomato paste. And uh, Rwandan, of course, was uh, where it was going to be planted. But uh, there was... Uh, there was an issue of, um, of building a, a, a crops multiplication and uh, training and the region because they were supposed to have a region, uh, plant tomatoes, uh, give them seeds, give them fertilizers and buy everything they produce, which is something that uh, actually Western companies and Western institutions are much better at doing than Chinese um, institutions. One of the things that um, I've noticed is that it's very difficult for Chinese companies to actually manage um, local employees. They, you know, Chinese are really good at managing Chinese, but they're having a bad time. And, and when it comes to this kind of uh, um, incubation center or uh, training or things like that, it doesn't always work out that well. So I'm still trying to achieve that. You know, I think it's, uh, it's very important that um, you know, these projects... Yeah, they should not be limited to just two sides. Um, if there's area for cooperation, then I really encourage it. So, Norbert, um, a follow-up question. When you sort of decided to create your own business, and, and most importantly, well, the question here would be, um, how easy, you know, was it, for, logistically speaking, for you to establish, to make that decision to create your own business? And... Sort of what, if you could compare your experience, um, you know, having that your company based in China versus when you moved it to Rwanda, how, what's the, um, easiness of, um, access to resources or logistics or bureaucratic, you know, opportunities versus challenges in both of these cases? Well, uh, first of all, the reason why I created uh, Afferent in Hong Kong is was because uh, it was so difficult to establish a company in China in those days, and it still is to this day. So for uh, small entrepreneurs, it's very difficult to have anything established in China, anything 
um, you know, legitimate. Uh, even for a work visa, for all of that, it was uh, really, really difficult. Uh, getting a bit better now, but it still is quite difficult. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, um, for me to register in Rwanda, it was quite easy. It was actually done in one day. But of course, uh, China offers way more resources in terms of opportunities for business, because China is the factory of the world, and Africans are very, very interested. So no matter who you are, no matter which country of Africa you come from, I think it's quite easy to start um, as a as a mid- middleman between Chinese and uh, African businessmen, whether you help them uh, f- buy, purchase things or help them with logistics. Uh, so there are way more opportunities for that than there is in, in Africa, I would say. And um, But the reason why I decided to move back is because I think that Africa is booming and uh, it's, it's, it is the time to, to be in Africa now. I think if, you know, in a couple of years the, this, it will be a bit late and adding on to that can you give any advice to young or even not so young Africans who want to start their own China Africa business what are the do's and don'ts well uh, first thing is uh, uh, is to know what you want because there are so many uh, opportunities that look very very good but ultimately will not really lead anywhere so I always tell um, I always tell you my, my young uh, countrymates that, uh, uh, you know, they always ask me, what can I do in China? And I say, you can do anything in China. If you're interested in uh, motorcycles, if you're interested in uh, furniture, then you can find the technology, you can find the very cheap goods, you know, to, for that. But if you go to China without really an idea, you, you're going you're gonna to be so mesmerized by all this you know, seemingly very good opportunities, and you, but you will end up ruined because you don't understand the market back home. So I always advise them, the first thing to do is to know a market back home, a product that can sell well back home or a service that would really help back home and then go look for it over there. That, that, and the, the, what not to do is to just go and see, you know, whatever I find I'll bring and you realize that somebody else has done it and... It, you just need to know, understand well where you're coming from in order to succeed well in China. That's my basic advice. Very wise words. That's a very good. Uh, so related to this, um, Norbert, I had a question about sort of this, the stakeholders um, on the Rwandan side. So let's say you have a Chinese delegation that you receive um, and you take them around for, you know, um, exploring investment opportunities. So who would be the main stakeholders um, that you bring to the table when you are discussing uh, potential investments, you know, and whether in this place where you are today or in past experiences? Well, uh Initially, uh, it was usually it's always government first, because I think because of the way that Chinese businessmen work, they really like to have uh, an official um, mm-hmm. stake or involvement, which is very difficult actually. So, uh, but uh, the, the mentalities are changing slowly. So usually, when I bring them first up, is always the Rwandan Development Board, which is the institution in Rwanda in charge of investment facilitation. And um, 
but more and more uh, bring them to the Rwandan private sector federation as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, very excited about more opportunities between private sector cooperation, actually, than I am with government, because um, uh, I think that the way of thinking that things in Africa can only work with government is very outdated, and I'm starting to see more Chinese who actually understand that and are willing to, to work with the, with the government. But I'm sure in every African country there is always like the, the institution that you should you should go to. But it, it you know it, it really you get to know it through experience. That's a very good point, yeah. Norbert, you you've dealt with a lot of different kinds of Chinese people in your long time in China and, and, and in Africa. What can you tell our listeners about the different kinds of Chinese partners, stakeholders, customers, or competitors that you've dealt with and your sort of observations of how they operate, how they interact, um, and how to best deal with them? Wow, I think that's a question for a whole-day interview. <laughs> then, then we will have you on a different pod to talk specifically about that. Okay, then it sounds like it's a too complicated yeah, it's, it's, it's too general. I don't know how it could, uh, where I could start from. But, well, maybe let's talk about, um, so, so you can, you can say that there are, uh, Chinese investors from big cities, from small cities. There's very wealthy ones and not so wealthy ones. There's the older ones and the young ones. The, so, uh, I've worked with all kinds, like, like you said. And, um, uh, what I've learned from my experience is that, uh, it doesn't really matter how wealthy or how big the company is. Uh, what really matters is uh, how um, how well informed they are about Africa, because uh, the attitude that uh, they bring to Africa is very very important to their success. So uh, these days I'm seeing more young Chinese, um, some even Harvard educated, who are um, you know deciding to focus on Africa. Uh, so I'm very, very happy about that. And usually they have a more realistic image of Africa and, and um, a more balanced view of Africa. They, they understand the opportunities and they can see that something big is coming. In, in, in It's already happening and even more is coming up soon. So so what I've seen in my experience is that those that, um, that um, are not, you know, are not close to Africa, do not see Africa as the way that Africans see Africa or who have um, a very negative image of Africa, no matter how well the project is, it will, you know, usually not run so well. So usually I think the attitude is, is quite important, as in, uh, you know, many would come and say, okay, what is the, um, what resources are in this country? What is the, the purchase power of this country? And if you look at those figures only, then you're really missing a very, very big picture of uh, other things. I think, for example, purchasing power, if you, uh, I can give the example of, of mobile phones, if you look at the purchasing power of most villages in, in Rwanda, you know, nobody should have a mobile phone, but yet everybody do and they buy credit every day. So the, the economies in Africa are very complicated. And you need to have the right kind of attitude about it in order to succeed in Africa. You have to be open-minded. You have to be respectful and understanding that this is a, a developing continent, which is coming from a very low base, but which has huge potential. 
Well said. Mm, thank you. So speaking of this, um, what are some of the kind of average or um, main investment um, projects that the Chinese engage in in Rwanda? So what kind of sectors they go in? Like, I'm talking like the, you know, like the major lines of investments. Like, no, I'm, I'm sure there's a mix of everything, but what are some of the main Well, I think in, in, in terms of, of uh, dollar amount, I think real estate is the biggest by far. Mm. But um, uh, there is a, a lot of uh, uh, industrial uh, manufacturing investments. So there are two um, main ones in Rwanda currently. One is, uh, I think it's called CNA, um, which is a textile um, factory, um, really really good and very big uh, textile factory at the Kigali Industrial Zone. Uh, I think it was invest. It was it's an investment by um, Helen High. Uh, she's the one who's doing the mm-hmm. huge um, investment in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. The um, other one is uh, there are many uh, furniture ma- manufacturing, such as uh, uh, door manufacturing, um, uh, tiles manufacturing. So mm-hmm. I can say the construction industry seems to be the the biggest uh, area Which goes for hand investment. in hand with the real estate, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. But there is that there is definitely a, a much more interest in uh, manufacturing because um, because of the stability of the country and the quite well educated population. So that was a, a pretty neglected area before because of what I said mm-hmm. earlier about looking at figures of. Uh, you know, purchasing power or, um, you know, logistics and all of that. But some have come. I think the, it was actually uh, my president personally pushed for this uh, CNA um, factory to, to be here, worked very mm-hmm. hard for it. And I think this will result in more, more investment of this kind. So this is an area where countries have to work hard, you know, very proactively to, to bring in those investments. I think mm-hmm. it's it's quite easy to get uh, Chinese investment in uh, in resources, in, uh, you know, uh, in building uh, government-related projects. That's they, they actually fight, you know, over it. But when it comes to actual investment in, uh, in uh, factories or uh, light manufacturing or even heavy manu- manufacturing, heavy industries, it, it requires a very serious commitment from uh, from the governments here to actually mm-hmm. seek out and uh, convince these Chinese entrepreneurs to, to do it. And that's one of the things that Rwanda, in terms of the China-Africa relationship, is quite well known for. The Rwandan government does fight to to expand the scope of what a lot of folks will invest in, and Rwanda, the Rwandan government does do a, a, an excellent job of managing Chinese projects. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, Rwandan government knows what they want very clearly, and uh, they, they they negotiate very very hard. And uh, I think Rwanda is uh, there's only two countries in Africa, I believe, which has um, uh, we have a. Uh, run the development board office in Shenzhen to actually, it's been there for the last eight years to encourage Chinese investment in high tech and uh, from the whole region of uh, Pearl River Delta. So I think it's only Rwanda and Egypt that has offices there. Um, so yeah, I have to, to, I have to acknowledge my government for a very good job in that area.
And be, before we, we, we close out, has China's economic slowdown affected your business at all? What is the interaction between such large macroeconomic trends and your own entrepreneurship? Yes, it has actually, but I don't think in a way that you would think. Uh, it has not, I have not seen any, you know, uh, reduction in the interest of, China, of imports from China. Uh, it has not affected the, the number of products imported from China or the, the kind of products. But on the other hand, what I've seen is uh, way more interest uh, from Chinese uh, wealthy individuals or groups to invest in Africa. I think they're realizing that the return on investment here is much more interesting than it is in China. So in the last one, two years, I've seen really, really huge growth in interest in investing in Africa. Fascinating. Yes. I think it's a it's a very good deal. I'm very happy about it. Mm-hmm. I hope more people know about that and, and try their hand investing in Africa as well. Well, Norbert, if we didn't offend you too much, I hope we get you on in the future. Mm-hmm. No, you did fine. <laughs> we are going to move on to recommendations. Yes. Uh, Norbert, do you have any recommendations for our listeners? Well, uh, I think uh, the first recommendation is... Uh, um, for, for I want to recommend the, the Africans in China... Uh, to the especially the young Africans in China, to uh, to be more involved in um, African youth organizations, which are actually more uh, more active than than uh, most people know about. So, I'll give an example of YAPS, which is young African professionals and students, which was established, I believe, in 2009 as well, and um, which is now working closely with Africa 2.0, and. Um, and there are other and there are other institutions that just want to encourage more Africans, especially the young students there, to be active in the in the youth in the African organizations there, because um, I, I've benefited a lot from being involved in in those those institutions. So I don't know if that would be a recommendation, but that's what I would like to to recommend. Yeah, that's a really that good qualifies. one. Mm-hmm. That's a very good one, actually. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And any other recommendations for our listeners? No, that's it. Um, I, I I didn't think about the recommendation. I think I w- I'll think about it more and give you more and uh, sec- in next time if there is a next time. Right, there will definitely be a next time. Mm. Uh, hopefully in Kigali. Hopefully a live. Oh show. yes, yes, that would be great. <laughs> Lena, yourself? Um, would be a recommendation more on the academic side. Um, The Journal of Current Chinese Affairs has just came out with a new issue looking at Africans living in Guangzhou, China. Um, I have not gotten the chance to actually go over the articles. I just uh, skimmed through just uh, briefly uh, the contents. And it just seems like a really good amount of uh, uh, good articles, you know, just uh, mapping out the landscapes of the of African diaspora in China. So, um, you know, that'd be a good weekend reading for me, actually. Oh, excellent. We should coordinate our recommendations because that was going to be my recommendation. Uh-oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which you cruelly stole from me. Well, not, not for the first time, right? <laughs> uh, 
what Lena said. I will say that I got tipped off to this this um, particular edition of a, of a really fine journal. Journal of Current Chinese Affairs is always excellent. But our mutual friend Roberto Castillo wrote a piece on it called Aspirations in Guangzhou's African Music Scene Beyond... What is it? Beyond the trading beyond narrative. The trading narrative. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this edition of the of the journal is is edited by Gordon Matthews, and anything with Gordon Matthews on it, with Africans in in China, you should read. And anything with Roberto Castillo's name on it, with Africans in China, you should also read. But this edition looks great. I haven't read it yet. I'm recommending something I haven't read, but I'm going to. I I trust the authors completely. And yes, please please do check it out. Before we sign off, Norbert, how do people find you on the internet? Do you have a website or a Twitter account that you would like to share with us? Yes, yes. So my Twitter account is at nhaguma, so N-H-A-G-U-M-A. And um, I would recommend uh, my company Facebook page. So it's facebook.com slash afroriant with one O. And uh, yeah, that's the best way to find me. And what about for our Chinese listeners? Would you recommend that to find you or any other website or methodology? Yeah, I think uh, for uh, for Chinese listeners, um, uh, email would be better. So I don't know if uh, I can give my email, which is anagoma.gmail.com. But actually, they can also visit the website, which is afrorian.com. Excellent, excellent. Mm. Lena, what about yourself? Uh, I'm on Twitter. My handle is at uh, lbenabdallah. That's L-B-E-N-A-B-D-A-L-L-A-H. And I tweet... Chan Africa stuff, uh, IR stuff also, um, and uh, yeah, that would be the easiest way. And you were doing a really good job live tweeting Xi Jinping's speech on China Middle Eastern relations, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yes, so hopefully everybody was following her because of that. She was on it. Well, I am already following you, Lina. Uh, yes. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> Yes. And I myself can be found on cowriesrice.blogspot.com and www.cowriesrice.com, the latter site housing my fledgling China Africa consultancy. In addition, my Twitter handle is Winslow underscore R, and I tweet about China Africa news, events, opinions, and arcana. I'm, I have been neglecting following your. I I followed you, Norbert, on Twitter, but I didn't actually look at your feed that much until this week and your feed is really okay. good so one i apologize to everybody follow norbert he has some oh, really really thank terrific you. information to share and that is about it for today's episode we would like to thank norbert for joining us this morning from rwanda as well as african development jobs this podcast can be found on soundcloud stitcher TuneIn radio double twist and itunes we are also teaming up with WTND Community Radio from Macomb, Illinois, to share a podcast. We would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care. <laughs>